Now come along and listen to us talk with the Bonjam. Go and have a lovely little walk with the Bonjam. Let me put it on and go to bed with the Bonjam. Or grab yourself a slice of toast and spread with the Bonjam. Hello and welcome to Bon Jam with me, Simon Jeffrey, and I'm joined by the two million three to my our expectations were considerably higher. It's Mr. James Turner. I was thinking of what you're going to say for that, and uh, that was definitely not what I was expecting. <laughs> Hello. Distribution of red China narcotics in the United States: two million three hundred thousand dollars, collected by Number Nine and myself. Two million three. Our expectations were considerably. Hiya, this is our first episode in, oh, it's been over a year since we recorded. Which is astonishing, it doesn't seem like that. We are recording this by proxy, and this is our Thunderball episode. I've been looking forward to this one, because I think the Connery films have been on a good run, and then Thunderball was always a divisive film, which we'll talk about, but on my most recent viewing, my opinion has drastically changed on that. Yeah, because... Thunderball being hot on the heels of Goldfinger was, you know, the most successful Bond film to date at that point. It was huge. But for many people, it doesn't rank up there quite as highly as Goldfinger, which will be interesting to know how we both feel, because Goldfinger is not either of our favourites, particularly. But when we were doing our Goldfinger episode, I found that quite difficult to... uh, deconstruct that film as as much as it's not our favorite it's kind of hard to pick apart it's almost like it feels like it's exactly the film it wants to be so it's yeah. it's sort of impervious to criticism a little bit do you feel that's the same about this film do you think this film is impervious to criticism james um no because i i know how i felt when i used to not like this film well to begin with can you do me a favor james it's yep. been Oh, it's been almost an hour since I finished watching this film. Can you uh, <laughs> can you remind me what the film is about? Okay, so Spectre have um, stolen a nuclear device and are threatening the world. So they're going to detonate the bomb unless they pay um, a ransom for not to explode the devices. Obviously, the UK government do not want to pay this money, but they are willing to if they can't find uh, the bombs in time. So they send out James Bond. So Bond goes to investigate and um, eventually thwarts Spectre's plans. I always think of this one as being almost the archetypical spy film plot. Bad guy with bomb. It's the plot from many a movie, I'm sure. If you were 12 years old and you wanted to make a Bond-style film, this is probably the plot you would use. (laughs) Two atomic bombs, numbers 456 and 457, which were aboard NATO Flight 759, are now in the possession of Spectre. Unless within the next seven days your government pays to us 100 million pounds sterling in a manner to be designated by us, we shall destroy a major city in England or the United States of America. Historically, what have your feelings been about this film? Well, the film has always ranked in my lower end of all the Bond films, if I was to list them all in rank order. And that was because I always found the pacing to be far too slow for me. What I used to love about the Bond films was the action sequences. 
And really, the action sequence here are few and far between. Okay, you've got the jetpack bit at the start, but a lot of the film is more about Bond investigating where this nuclear bomb is. There's the whole bit at the start where Bond isn't really featured that much. And then, of course, the whole underwater sequence kind of bored me a bit. So the things that I should have been liking, I didn't like back then. But now I kind of appreciate those elements. I mean, let's just go from the beginning. The film opens up with the, uh, the funeral scene. So Bond is attending the funeral of uh, Jacques Bouvard, who is an enemy agent, an assassin, and he, in doing so, stumbles upon Bouvard himself, who is posing as his own widow, and um, and then he promptly kills him, <laughs> leading into the uh, the title sequence. But there's I've got no issue whatsoever with Bob Simmons dressing up as a woman, and you know it's quite a funny idea. But it's the way that Bond discovers him. Is the fact that he opens the car door for himself. <laughs> Something that a real woman would never do. I've uh, come to offer my sincere condolences. My dear Colonel Bouvard, I don't think you should have opened that car door by yourself. So that's suspicious in the 60s, was it? But Was that suspicious enough to punch someone in the face? I would like to put the theory out there that maybe he didn't have a widow and that's how he knew really but then he was just saying that no, to, you're, to, uh... you're reaching James we have to go with what the film tells us <laughs> but that might not have been the reason for it maybe he was just saying oh you shouldn't have opened that car door on yourself you're getting defensive aren't you James <laughs> <laughs> so they, they fight and he's promptly killed and Bond makes his escape in a jetpack yes which uh I was watching with Katie and I said, you know, that's 100% real. Her reaction was like, oh yeah, it looks 100% real. <laughs> like, I was like, no, no, I'm not being sarcastic. Because it looks fake. You know, the real jetpack they used, it didn't shoot fire out the bottom. It was, you know, mm. it was just a jet of air coming out of it. But unless that jet was disturbing the atmosphere or, you yeah. know, kicking up dust, you couldn't see it. So he mm. just literally looks like he's on a wire, like gone. <laughs> and just dropped down to the ground. And I think that flight that it makes from the roof down to the ground is about as long as it could fly. In yeah, real life. I believe so, yeah. Uh, and then they cram it into the boot. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've seen reviews going, oh, it's such a cool gadget, you know, that's iconic. It's a bit throwaway and naff, I think. I think it's the cool factor, really, more than anything. Is it's, it cool, though? Uh, I think so. I think it kills the bad guy, gets on a jetpack, Flies to his Aston Martin, uses the Aston Martin to uh, evade the enemy, and off he goes. I think maybe it's because it's. I don't see that it's entirely justified as a use of a jetpack. He's on top of a high building. But only because he chooses to run up to the roof. But there's people after him, though. But he didn't know that when he put the jetpack up on the roof, did he? Uh, that's a good point. What was his plan? I'm going to sneak in with this heavy jetpack... <laughs> I'm going to go up to the roof first and put the jet back up there. Then I'm going to come down, punch a woman in the face, who I'm pretty sure is a man, and then I'm going to cause a lot of disturbance, run back up to the roof and fly off. Well, maybe the jetpack was there just in case. It was just like a backup plan, so you had to go for plan B. Maybe he took lots of jetpacks with him. <laughs> I'll put one on the roof, uh, one in the supply cupboard, uh, one under the stairs. No well-dressed man should be the one. Yes, very practical. So we then go into the title sequence with uh, Tom Jones's song, which was a kind of late replacement for the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang theme tune, but I actually quite like Tom Jones's song. I have issues with some of the lyrics. Go on. 
any woman he wants, he'll get. His days of asking are all gone. Uh, I mean, any woman he wants, he'll get. Okay, you know, he's confident. He's, you know, if he sets his mind to something, you know, he's he's a desirable man. But his days of asking are all gone. You still got to ask, Bond. You know, it might not be talking about women. It might be talking about um, pudding. Pudding, yeah. It's like uh, it, it, people just bring it out to him. Here you go. Don't have to ask anymore. Why don't I picture him eating dinner with M then? <laughs> just sat opposite him and helping himself to dessert, and M going, uh, "Excuse me," and he's like, "My days of asking are all gone." <laughs> and M's like, mm, "Fair enough." Sit down, number two. We will discuss your nature project later. I regret to inform you all of the death of Spectre number six. Colonel Jacques Bouvard was killed by an unknown assassin. His services will be greatly missed. We will now proceed with the area financial reports. I really love that Spectre meeting scene. Yeah. It's like a little morning meeting. Like, a, right, what's everyone else up to? What's everyone working on? <laughs> Let's go around the room. And uh, I, I just really like the idea that Spectre is this kind of quite mundane operation, really. And I just love the idea that they basically go out looking for trouble. <laughs> Each of the Spectre agents, they just sort of go, right, what are you up to? Well, I'm, um, I'm a consultant for the Great Train Robbery. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got paid our part. Great. You know, put that in the bank. Um, we assassinated a, an antimatter specialist, you know, and they just sort of take jobs and handouts here and there. And yeah, yeah. they've got no sort of specific one goal. It's not like this mm. later nonsense where it was all to do with daddy issues and stuff. It's just like, right, what mayhem can we create today? I kind of um, imagine when it came out, it must have been really exciting to see that, really, because yeah. when you think about it, the fact that Spectre wasn't even present in Goldfinger. Yeah. Yeah, it's been built up in Doctor No and from Russia with Love. The fact that it goes back and then you actually see a bit more of this organisation, it must have been really exciting. It must have been like our reaction to the Spectre trailer when Mr. White came back. Yeah. Yeah. They're not abandoning that plot after all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might be my favourite Spectre scene that we get. It makes me wish we had more of that stuff. I'd like to know yeah. a little bit more about the little dealings that they have on the side. Mm hmm. What I found on my most recent viewing was the um, the whole plot to do with replacing Duval with Angelo and, and the, the whole idea of the evil organization going to great lengths to kind of um, transform this person into someone else to do this plot. I just really love that. There's something really sinister about the lengths they went to. Yeah. What is essentially, it's quite a small part. He just has to go on board a plane and do one job and then that's his role done. But he's been preparing for it for two years, studying the tapes and having surgery and stuff. Yeah. You hear about these evil despots with body doubles and doppelgangers and stuff. There's something really sinister about the idea of coming face to face with someone who looks just like you. And I think that just sort of washed over me as a kid and I didn't get any interest from that stuff but yeah i found that quite compelling this time around
Connery looks extremely comfortable in the role by this point. He's he's very cheeky. Um, yeah. He's very inappropriate at times. And he's yeah. just sort of strutting around shrub and it's just causing trouble. I think Bond and Lippy should have their own TV show where they play <laughs> flatmates who are constantly trying to out-prank each other. I'd tune into that. <laughs> Using increasingly inexplicably dangerous equipment. It'd just be like Bottom, uh, the James Bond version. I don't get why these devices are capable of being deadly. Why does that stretching rack have that dial that can go up that high? I don't think that scene on the traction machine has the desired effect. I think mm. it's meant to be tense, but it just makes me laugh. Um, there was a weird little bit I noticed when Bond is on the phone to um, Moneypenny. Yeah. And then they have a little cheeky banter, and uh, he says. And she responds. I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> I have no idea either. I actually had to turn to Google and it turns out no one knows what that line means. <laughs> Best I can understand is that she's implying that all Bond has been eating and drinking at Shrublands is yogurt and lemon juice. I think it's implying that it won't be much of a spanking because he won't have any energy. Yeah, that's uh, that makes more sense, even though it does seem like a weird conversation. So it'll be like a gentle, playful spanking that she's going to get. <laughs> There's some dialogue later from Fiona where she calls Bond out on his um, antics and says... But of course, I forgot your ego, Mr. Bond. James Bond, who only has to make love to a woman and she starts to hear heavenly choir singing. She repents it and immediately returns to the side of right and virtue. But not this one. Which is great, and I love that moment. It really defines Fiona as being a really strong... Yeah. You know, strong-minded character. Apparently that was written in response to criticism of Pussy Galore. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. But yeah, it's one of the reasons I really like Fiona, and I think I've come to appreciate her more, you know, as as I've got older and watched the films yeah, more and more. Same. She is, you know, one of the absolute high points for me in that film. What I noticed at the in the Shrubland scenes is it was a great use of the widescreen format, because this, mm. I think, was the first of the Bond films to be shot in a in a wider format, in a Panavision format, I think, which is why Connery had to film the gun barrel again. Yeah. But there's scenes at Shrublands where Bond's being stalked while he's investigating the body. Yeah. And you've got a guy stood right on the far side of the frame, like, getting ready to shoot, and Bond's over the other side. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I just thought, that's a great use of this widescreen format. Well done. And um, it reminded me that when I first bought this film, it was on VHS back in the 90s. Because they used to crop the picture to pan and scan 4x3, you know, full screen as it was called in those days. So you lost a lot of that. And so, you know, you didn't get the guy stood off to one side. You just saw Bond in this kind of wide shot. And it wasn't anywhere near as interesting. But it yeah. reminded me of a shot later on near the end of the film where Bond is investigating the submerged Vulcan bomber. Mm. And he is in the cockpit and he's investigating the body that's still there. And he takes off the uh, breathing mask off the face. But on video, you couldn't see Bond in that shot. All you saw was this supposedly dead body and a hand take the mask off his face. <laughs> and for like years, I thought he was still alive. <laughs> 
I'm like, how is he still alive? Has he been breathing his own air? For it? And I thought, what's, what's he going to do? Oh, nothing. What? Why is he still <laughs> Confused me for ages, that did. <laughs> well, now that we're all here... After the Shrubland scene, all double-O agents are called to headquarters. Yeah. And for the first time ever, we see all the double-O agents in a line, sat down. I like the idea that all these double-O agents have been given a certain assignment, which I presume are different leads that they've got. Yeah, it gives the impression that they're being sent to investigate different areas, because Bond is initially assigned to Canada, mm-hmm. and he requests to be reassigned to the, to the Bahamas. Yeah, which I presume a different double agent was originally going to be investigating. Yeah. Possibly. So maybe he was swapped with someone who was yeah. like, oh, <laughs> I only packed my swim shorts. It turns up <laughs> in Canada. <laughs> I really like that scene, actually, because M's like really supportive of Bond. This film is full of people being quite supportive to Bond. <laughs> yeah. Felix is really supportive of Bond. Well, it's because Bond is like putting on loads of equipment and he says something like, and the kitchen sink. And the kitchen sink. You know, to imply that he's got all this stuff on and it's yeah. cumbersome and large and unwieldy. And Felix says, on you, everything looks good. On you, everything looks good. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah, I, I think one of the strong points for this film, the allies were one of my favourite parts about it because there's this team of people. It's not just Bond on his own sent to investigate. They have a group of people. So you've got Felix Leiter, you've got Pinder, and you've got Paula. Yeah, I'm in two minds about it, really. I, do, I did get a sense of like, oh, it's quite good that they've got a team together for this. I did like that. But at the same time, I can't help but think that they could have combined Felix and Pinder's roles together. Yeah, yeah, I could understand that, yeah. Because I don't think Felix has much to do. He's a bit of a yes-man in this, and they don't have much chemistry, even though he's complimenting Bond a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But I think perhaps there's one too many allies for me. Possibly. I I really like the allies, especially Paula myself, because it's a more platonic relationship that Bond has with her. And there's a sense of caring that yeah. Bond has for her as well, especially when she gets into trouble and Bond stops everything to then go and rescue her. Yeah, I like the sort of teasing relationship they have at the beginning where he says, you know, tell MI6 I've made contact and, and she's like, it's not what I call contact. Yeah. It almost makes me a little disappointed that later on she's got, kind of got herself dolled up for a date with Bond. Yeah. Because I don't think it doesn't really match what they were building up to this kind of refreshingly platonic relationship then just Mm. to have her kind of waiting for him when fiona arrives and says you know bond must have a high opinion he's got a date with me too and paula goes to open the door but she like checks her hair before she does so and it gave me the impression that she was like waiting for him to come back yeah she made herself look good and i was thinking well Did you really feel that you had to do that back in the 60s? Were you so desperate to make Bond this sort of object of attraction for every single person alive? (laughs) You couldn't just let him have one female ally that wasn't interested. Yeah. Though, wait a sec, I'd like to uh, make a fan theory here. What if Paula was actually waiting for Felix Leiter? Because 
Felix is the one who discovers Paul has gone. So Felix Leiter then goes rushing to Bond and going, oh, Paul has gone, Paul has gone. Well, it's definitely not Pinder based on his reaction to her death. He's like, <laughs> anything else? Oh, tell her Paul is dead. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yep, will do. Yep. I've got here a few notes from what my partner said while we were watching. And the introduction to Domino, when she's uh, swimming and Bond is watching her, Katie's remarks were, leave that poor turtle alone, turtle botherer. <laughs> it's like, why is she riding a turtle like some scuba gear, you know? Oh, it's like something from Little Mermaid. And then later on, someone jumps onto a shark and you're like, leave the animals alone, what are you doing? <laughs> So when Bond finally meets Largo, I absolutely love that moment, actually, where Bond is essentially teasing Largo about the fact that he works with Spectre. It does feel like Bond is on a mission. His mission might as well be blow your cover as quick as possible. I think it's quickly revealed, though, that Largo is well aware of who Bond is. Yeah, I, th- I think after Doctor No and From Russia With Love, I think James Bond is high up on their list of people to watch out for. What do you think about Largo as a villain, James? I actually saw him as kind of like a, an opposite to Bond, or an older version of what Bond could be Yeah. if he was, you know, on the dark side of the table. So... You know, he's this gambling man who likes his women, he likes his danger. Uh, he is very similar to Bond in many respects. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I kind of like him. I did have a renewed appreciation for him more recently, particularly in the way that he's willing to do the work himself. Yeah. yeah I actually yeah. really like the fact that one of the first things we see him do is get the scuba gear on himself and go and yeah. recover the, the bombs and recover the plane. You know, there are countless other villains who would have sat high and dry and ordered that work to be done but he does it himself you know he doesn't ask his men to do anything he's not willing to do mm-hmm. you almost get the sense that he would probably be a decent person to work for as long as you stayed on his good side <laughs> as long as you didn't try and exploit money from specter or if you came back having let someone get the better of you yeah yeah I like to imagine uh, Desmond Llewellyn's reaction to being shown his costume for this film. (laughs) I love his little pineapple shirt. Yeah, I really like uh, when Bond sees Q, he's like, oh no. Goes back to a story I heard about Roger Moore when he was Bond, constantly trying to get Desmond Llewellyn to wear shorts, because he hated wearing shorts, apparently. And he'd say things like, I think Q should wear shorts in this suit. (laughs) So I like to imagine the look on his face when he's handed this costume. But I love the uh, the gadgets that we were introduced to in this film, especially the mini breather. You know, it comes in handy numerous times in the film, whether he's stuck in a shark pool or when he's actually in the underwater battle. I have a question about the gadgets. Go on. It says when Q has given him his gadgets that the watch has a Geiger counter in it. Mm. And then he gives him an underwater camera with infrared film. Mm. 
But then later Bond, when he asks Domino for help, gives her the camera and says this is a Geiger counter. Good point. Did they just change their mind? Did they Did they forget? Maybe. Did they just say, oh, no one's going to watch this film more than once? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there was some drama behind the scenes we weren't privy to. Because yeah. um, if we think a bit about the context of this film, and as I understand it, Ian Fleming had started to work on a screenplay for a film of James Bond with a couple of other people, one being uh, Kevin McClory. Yeah. And so when that sort of fell through, he took some of those ideas and um, turned them into a novel, Thunderball. And then Kevin McClory, in all fairness, quite rightly, said, hang on, I came up with some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's easy to sort of fall on the side of the Bond series when these legal battles come up and say, you know, oh, go away, Kevin, you, you, you're ruining everything. But, <laughs> you know, he laid claim to a certain number of details from the films. You know, he, he claimed mm. that... He owned the rights to Blofeld and the cat and Inspector. I think the producer credit on this film was um, part of the settlement in that legal case. But, you know, it's easy historically to judge that guy as being, you know... The villain of the Bond series. Causing a fuss, you know, causing trouble, denying them their rights. But in all fairness, Fleming liked to borrow ideas from conversations he'd had down the pub and stick them in his next book and things like that. So, fair enough. Yeah. And so, Kevin McClory retained the rights to some of those things and he was only ever allowed to make a remake of Thunderball. And that's how Never Say Never Again came about. Which maybe we'll do one day, James. What do you think? I've not seen Never Say Never Again for like perhaps over 10 years, so I really need to rewatch that. So we're kind of introduced to the whole underwater sequence. Now, this is the sequence that really bored me as a kid. Mm. I think, um, on the whole, when we have a film that we like, we sort of overlook its worst aspects. And when we have a film that we don't like so much, we kind of focus on those worst aspects. Yeah, yeah. And for me, for a long time, Thunderball equaled long underwater boring sequences. Yeah. And I was surprised watching it today how short that final underwater scene is. Yeah. It wasn't as long as I thought it was. It still feels longer than it should be. And yeah, I think that's yeah. partly because everything sort of moves slower underwater and mm. um, there's less kind of noise underwater, so it seems a bit subdued, and it could probably be half the length it is. It gets to the point yeah. where they start splicing in like B-roll footage of cuttlefish and stuff, where yeah. you think, all right, stop now. Like, <laughs> it should have ended by now. When we watched it, I kind of appreciated more the technical ability. It's fantastically shot and it's technically brilliant. As I've grown older, I think I must have come more to appreciate that. I still, like I say, I don't think it's perfect, but no, uh, I could actually enjoy it for what it is. I think we were just both guilty of focusing on the bad and yeah. going, oh, Thunderbolt, boring, long underwater scenes. And they are, but... There's a lot more to that film than just those scenes. And I think if you adjust yourself mentally to the pace of the film you're about to watch, you can have a great time with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after the underwater sequence, we get to the actual fight scene between Bond and Largo on the boat, which for me was the worst part of the film. 
Yeah, I mean, as much as I remember the underwater stuff being the bit that really drags it down, it's the scene that follows, which is probably the low point for me. Maybe it's a technical thing. It's a combination between, like, the obviously sped-up footage of the boat and the very generic fight that isn't the best choreographed fight in the world. I don't think it needed to have a fight, to be honest. I think it would have been just as good if Largo had cornered Bond with a gun and Domino shot him with the harpoon. Yeah. Because like, yeah. it's a great ending. It's just a bit of a naff fight. Yeah. That probably is the low point. Yeah, same for my low point. That is the uh, the worst part of the film. Yeah. High point, I've got to say, the scene between Bond and Fiona, as you mentioned. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I really like the Spectre meeting at the beginning and pretty much anything with Fiona in after that. I don't think it's the best. I think... I would still rank it kind of somewhere in the middle, but it's definitely gone up from the days where I would have put it right at the bottom of the list. Uh, We've not really discussed much about Domino. No. Um, How did you find Domino as a Bond girl or Bond woman? Um, She's got a lovely set of of swimwear. (laughs) I really like her, actually. I I especially like how she um, just shuts Bond down quite early on, going, you know, can I take you to dinner? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know what else to say about her I liked Domino she's probably my third favourite woman in the film (laughs) wait no Money Penny's in it as well fourth (laughs) she's far from the worst Mm. but she's overshadowed by Fiona and even you know to some extent Paula yeah so uh, in conclusion Thunderball Better than we remembered it. Better than I remembered it. And currently, my favourite, Connery Bond. Connery is excellent in it, if you ignore the inappropriate things he says and does. (laughs) There's a lot of fun to be had. Set yourself the appropriate time to watch it, and don't expect a modern-day breakneck pace action film. Because if you do, that long scene where all the Spectre people are hammering in the nails to secure the camouflage of the ship, you'd be like, why are they showing us this in such excruciating (laughs) detail? Like, these days, you wouldn't get that in a film. They wouldn't even show it at all. No. They'd cut to later on in the film where the plane gets discovered and someone would say, oh, they've covered it with camouflage. <laughs> and that would be it. Yeah. I quite like that they go to that length to show you it, that it's not all action, that is, uh, you know, there's a lot of men involved with the operation. Yeah. And crucially, Largo is one of them and he's doing his fair share of the work, which I really appreciated. Let's play games with James. Games with James. For the first time in over a year, welcome back to Games <laughs> with James. Now, I did have a Games with James lined up until I checked my notes and I realised that I was actually saving it for a different episode. So I had to scramble together quickly and come up with a different idea. And I'm not sure how good this will be. Let us play the Bond villain final lines quiz. Oh, God. Uh, But first, James, I need a sound from you that I'm going to put in when you get the answer correct. So can I have a right answer sound from you now? Correct. (laughs) Okay. And uh, can I have a sound for when you get something wrong? Oh, you got it wrong. Okay. Nice and basic there. Uh, But okay, that's fine. It's not Bond related. Well, we might not need that one because I think these might be fairly easy. These are all the final lines of Bond villains. You've just got to tell me which Bond villain they are. 
Okay. Question one. Do it. Do it. Only you can do it. Do it. What on earth? Okay, wait a second. Say it again. Do it. Do it. Only you can do it. Do it. I don't know. What the hell? I'm going to have to push you for an answer, yeah, James. Yeah, I, I don't have an answer for this one. Oh, you got it wrong. Oh, that's unfortunate. It is Silver from Skyfall. Of course. Of course. You know, Silver was the first thing that I thought of, and I didn't even think. Do it. Do it. Only you can do it. Do it. God damn it. Come on, let's get you off the mark. A slightly simpler one now. No, no, no. Oh, come on now. I thought these were going to be, like, easy ones. Uh, I'm going to just go Elliot Carver. Correct. Oh, yeah! (laughs) It's the people what they want! Number three is Let Our Diners Assemble. Is it Kananga? Correct. Ah, yes. Slowly, slowly. Let our diners assemble. Okay, number four. You could have had everything. Is it um, Sanchez? Correct. It is Sanchez. Well done. You could have had everything. Don't you want to know why? Well, I think you're going to get this one as well. Number five, time to face destiny. It's uh, Gustav Graves. Correct. Time to face destiny. Time to face gravity. Number six is shut down. Ooh, shut down. Hmm. I have no idea. Dominic Green. I'm just guessing here. Oh, you got it wrong. That is incorrect, James. It is Doctor No. Oh, he's he's shouting it, isn't he? Yeah. Okay, number seven. Ready? Mm Mm-hmm. No, that was it. Ready. Oh. (laughs) Um, Is it Electric King? Oh, you got it wrong. Oh, God. It is Scaramanga. Oh my god, that is, yeah, of course. Are you ready, Monsieur Scaramanga? Ready. Are you ready, Monsieur Bond? Ready. He doesn't say anything from that jewel until he dies. Oh, man. Never mind. Uh, Okay, number eight. Go. Is it Max Owen? No, that's not the answer I've got. Is it? It might be. He might say that too. <laughs> Otherwise, is it Kamal Correct. Khan? Go out and get him. Out there? Go. Yes, But I'm thinking, does Max Zorin say it now? I'll go and check and I'll insert a line whether or not you're right. Go get not. him. Go! It turns out James was right and he gets a point. <laughs> there we go. Okay, number nine. Okay. Yours too. And faster than you think. It's uh, Stromberg. Your time's running out, Stromberg. Yours too, Mr. Bond. Yours too. And faster than you think. 
and we're going to finish on a really difficult one, James. Ah, oh dear. I thought the others were difficult. Go on. Number 10. I told you what you wanted to know about quantum. <laughs> Sir Dominic Green. Correct. I answered your questions. I told you what you wanted to know about quantum. Yes, you did. Sorry, I, I mispronounced it. I should have said quantum. <laughs> So there you go, James. There was my hastily thrown together games with James there. No, it was um, a good game. You did pretty well. Out of ten? I don't know. <laughs> Please mute, James. And that concludes our episode. Um, what do I normally say here? Um, <laughs> this is our first episode we're recording in over a year, and our first one during lockdown. Uh, it's sweltering heat outside, so maybe we've just uh, we, we've dropped the ball here or there. But uh, hopefully we'll be back with another episode in a much shorter space of time. Well, hopefully sooner rather than later. I think this system works. Yes. So, uh, thank you for listening. And in the meantime, we have got other content appearing on our YouTube channel as well. We've done some tier lists over the last few weeks. And uh, don't forget, we are, of course, on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes... And YouTube as well. All yeah. forward slash Bonjamcast. So give us a like, share, subscribe, follow us on all social medias at Bonjamcast. Things have been a little bit quiet during lockdown, but I'm hoping to pick them up a little bit as the weeks go forward. So stay tuned. And don't forget to spread that jam. Spread that jam, everybody. <laughs> Take care. Cheerio. Hey, you remembered your catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs>